Good evening. Welcome to uh, Center Point and to our study of the book of Ezra. Uh, this evening we're looking at Ezra chapter 7. I invite you to turn on your Bible or open it up to Ezra chapter 7. Let us hear the truth and word of our God. Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Meraoth, the son of Zerahiah, the son of Uzai, the son of Bukai, the son of Abishu, the son of Phineas, the son of Eliezer, son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. On the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem for the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra, the priest, the scribe, a man learned in the matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, peace. And now I make a decree that anyone of the people of Israel or their priest or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you. For you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand, and also to carry the silver and gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem with all the silver and gold that you shall find in the whole province 
of Babylonia and with the freewill offerings of the people and the priest vowed willingly for the house of their God that is in Jerusalem. With this money, then, you shall with all diligence buy bulls, rams, and lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings. And you shall offer them on the altar of the house of your God that is in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and to your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold, you may do according to the will of your God. The vessels that have been given to you for the service of the house of your God, you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever else is required for the house of your God, which it falls to you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. And I, Artaxerxes, the king, make a decree to all the treasures in the province beyond the river, whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven requires of you, let it be done with all diligence, up to a hundred talents of silver, a hundred cores of wheat, a hundred baths of wine, a hundred baths of oil and salt without prescribing how much. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in, the full, in full for the house of the God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. We also not notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on any one of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or other servants of the house of God. And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God, and those who do not know them, you shall teach. Whoever will not obey the law of your, of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of his goods or for imprisonment. Blessed be the God, the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. Quite a passage here in Ezra chapter 7. We finally meet Ezra. It's not until the seventh chapter that we're introduced to the man whose book is so named Ezra. Between chapter 6 and here in chapter 7 is 60 years of time has passed. The work that we've been studying on the temple 
had been completed. The temple had been dedicated. There was a celebration as we studied in Ezra chapter 6 of the Passover. It's been 60 years. It's very appropriate that we're studying this passage from Ezra this week where we remember the Reformation. The time of the Reformation, there was a rediscovery of God's word, of the centrality of the scripture, the teaching and clear preaching of God's word and truth that so changed uh, the lives of his people. And God raised up reformers, not only Martin Luther, but there was a whole cadre of performers, of reformers, Uh, that God used in bringing spiritual renewal and refreshment to the people. And it all began, began with the word of God. Later in his life and ministry, Martin Luther was reflecting upon the Reformation and attributed the success to it, not to himself, not to his labors or his endeavors or his courage. Instead, he attributed the success of the Reformation to the simple truth and power of the word of God. And that is what Ezra chapter seven is all about. The people have had the temple, they've had the sacrifices, They've had the spiritual celebration. But now God raises up a man with a commitment and love for him and for his word and for teaching it, making it clear and known and understood in Israel. And as I think about our own day, perhaps Ezra chapter 7 of the entirety of the book of Ezra is what may be most needed in our own day. We have many churches in our communities. There's much said from pulpits across this land, but not much of it is thus says the Lord. In our own context here at First Press, we may have a skewed understanding of larger Christendom or the evangelical community in our own land where there has become a great departure from the scriptures, where the scripture has been eclipsed by many other things. And the preaching of the scripture at times has become much less than the pure milk of the word. David Wells in his book, No Place for Truth, explains how uh, the church that had a commitment to the authority of scripture and principle gave way to pragmatism instead of scripture in making decisions about living the Christian life and in worship. So the issues of Ezra's day are the great issues of our own day. 
And there is a great need for us to have the truth and the refreshment, the power and life that comes from the word of our living God. So God raised up a priest, a scholar priest, but a priest who preached the word of God. And so for just a few moments, this passage kind of breaks into several categories. In verses one to five, we learn of Ezra's ancestry. And then in verses six to 10, we learn something of Ezra's attainments. And then starting at verse 11 and going through verse 26, it's something about Ezra's authority. And then finally, we learn something in the final two verses, 27 and 28, of Ezra's acknowledgement. Ezra's ancestry is traced back to Aaron, that first high priest, the brother of Moses. And the author of Ezra goes to great lengths to lay out the lineage. This is not merely just a Jewish practice of the day, but it was a device used to explain the importance of the individual to clearly delineate and trace his ancestry back, even to Moses. Here, Ezra is, is seen as a second Moses. Moses brought the law of God direct from God to the people. And now Ezra, as the people are back in the land, reestablishing what are, what are their priorities, Ezra brings the loving and clear truth of God's word for their lives. He is a second Moses. God used Moses in bringing people out of the land of Egypt. Ezra was one that led some of the Lord's people out of Babylon. So we learn something here of Ezra's ancestry in the first five verses. But what I think is of, of highest importance in this passage is this next section, verses six through 10, of Ezra's attainments. In verse six, we begin to learn how that Ezra and those with him traveled 900 miles, uh, the dangerous, grueling journey from Babylon to Jerusalem, to Israel. Um, more so than their travel to Jerusalem, we learn something of his own character and commitment. I think the theme verse, perhaps, of the entire book of Ezra, certainly of chapter 7, is Ezra verse, chapter 7, verse 10, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it. 
and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. As a leader, there is much that Ezra could have stressed as a matter of importance. But what he focuses upon, what he is resolute about, is his own commitment to God's word, God's law. He gave himself to studying it, to understanding it. This word uh, that he set his heart is a very strong word in the Hebrew that speaks of his intentionality, his devotion, his intent, his desire. And what is the focus? What is the drive of his life? It's that he might know the law, the truth of God, what God has revealed about himself, his character, and what God has shown for his people, how we are to live and order our lives. Um, this is something of high priority for Ezra. He not only studied the law of his God, but we see secondly, he was committed to doing it. This wasn't just a mere academic exercise. It wasn't study to obtain knowledge, to have some intellectual prowess. God's word is designed to change our lives. When we truly understand it, we want to give ourselves to the God who, who has spoken. We want to soften our hearts and open our minds and ears to what he has to say and to be those who truly hear, as James speaks of, so that we're not just mere hearers of the word, but we become doers of it by his grace and by his power. There's a very striking order to Ezra 7.10. He studied God's word. It impacted his own life. He sought to live it out, to do it. Um, and then, thirdly, he taught the Lord's word, his statutes and his rules, other cognates, other words in the uh, language to describe God's law, God's Torah, God's word. There's a very striking order here. He came to understand it. By God's grace, he lived it out. And then he taught it to others. One of the most terrifying things about teaching or preaching God's word is a concern, I'll just speak personally, that I be one who seeks to live out what I'm teaching, that it isn't just something of a passing of information of the mind, but it'd be something that's real and genuine and that's a way we can pray for our Sunday school teachers and, and youth leaders. Isn't that at the very heart of being a parent? 
to live out by God's grace before our children the truths of his word and gospel. And we fall short as parents and teachers and preachers, but it is our earnest desire that our lives would reflect his word, that we would live it out so that there's a correspondence between what is what the way in which we live and the way in which we teach that there's not dissonance but there instead is a corresponding harmony one of the things I'm so grateful for about one of the previous pastors of our own congregation was Glenn Connect's personal godliness he loved and loves the Lord Jesus and sought to order his life by the scriptures. It was real. And so when he spoke, that came across. There's a gravity to that and there's a graciousness to that uh, when he spoke and preached the Lord's word because he had not only studied it, he lived it out. And then he was much more able to teach the Lord's word. Under this area of attainment, there is a a second principle. The first is that of Ezra's commitment to the word. The second is Ezra's understanding of God's providential care. If you look at verse 9, as he summarizes their 900-mile journey, he acknowledges that the good hand of God was on him. It is because of the presence of almighty God and God's ordering and guiding and controlling history that is the great comfort and peace and strength uh, of his people. It is... uh, It is what enabled Ezra to so give himself to the scriptures. He was a man of the book. He called people to order their lives according to God's word, God's good book. He had a lasting influence in the life of God's people. And if you're a person, whether you're a parent, a teacher, you work with youth, if you desire to have a lasting influence on the lives of others, you too are to be a man or woman, a young person of the book, of God's word, of his Bible. It is the scriptures that he has promised to bless. So we find Ezra not an inventor, Uh, not a compiler, not a reviser, but an expounder of the living voice of God for his present day. And there's this aspect of it being the covenant presence of God, that the hand of his God was with him. Um, Much more could be said about this, but I'll just conclude this section with a, a quote uh, 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 that I think captures uh, Ezra and his commitment 
to the scriptures. He wasn't a cloistered scholar. He wasn't a shallow activist. He was deeply schooled in the word, yet he was a man of planning and strategy. And I'm going to, Derek Kidner gives a second quote. His study was saved from unreality. His conduct from uncertainty. And his teaching from insincerity and shallowness. May God raise up Ezra's in our day, in our own congregation. We not only need Ezra's from the pulpit and from the Sunday school lecture, but we need them in our Bible studies, in our small groups, men, women, kids who are committed to God's word. The third thing that stands out to me here in verses 11 to 26 is the authority of Ezra. He reflects upon what is the true source of authority and power. This letter from the king of Persia, Artic Xerxes, uh, begins with uh, acknowledging in verse 11, um, Ezra as a scribe, a learned man in the matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. And Artaxerxes describes that Ezra is the scribe of the law of God of heaven. Ezra understands that all power and authority comes from the Lord, that the Lord was the one who moved in the heart of the king, who's able to turn the king as channels of water from Proverbs chapter 21, that, that God's purposes would be accomplished. This letter is written in Aramaic. Actually, the book of Ezra picks up Aramaic and Hebrew is not returned to until chapter 9, verse 15. Aramaic was the official language of correspondence of the Persian court. But we learn in this letter how God raised up Artaxerxes just as he had previously done with Darius the king, and how that Artaxerxes not only allowed Ezra and his friends to go, but he saw that they were provided for. He saw that the cost for all of the sacrifices that would be made was provided. He saw that all of the temple vessels and utensils were given, that extra supplies would be provided from various officials throughout the kingdom and that even the temple leaders would be exempt 
from certain taxes. He calls also Ezra to establish a judicial system with the full powers of of justice and righteousness and punishment as appropriate. But we learn that God is the one who is the true authority. And this brings us to the final point in verses 27 and 28. Um, You know, I I misspoke earlier. Um, Actually, the Hebrew returns in verse 27 and Ezra speaks in the first person. He writes in the first person and he continues writing in the first person till chapter 9 verse 15. But here at the end he is acknowledging the Lord. He's giving blessing to God. Blessed be the Lord, verse 27, the God of our fathers who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord. And he attributes to what what God has done to his, verse 28, his steadfast love. This speaks of his faithfulness. It's a language of the covenant the promise that he had made to his people that God was ever faithful in his loving provision and promises that were coming to pass. We read finally that Ezra took courage for he knew that the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And it was this courage that led him to gather others in this common cause of returning to Jerusalem for the worship and particularly the preaching and teaching and following of the word of our God. How much we need that clear voice of God in our own lives and how much we need that as the Lord's people and how good and gracious God is to us in his steadfast love a love that we certainly do not deserve, would never merit. So let's begin our time of prayer together. I think the prayer sheets are making their way around uh, a bit slowly. Uh, So, uh, but let's begin with a season of giving our praise to God for his character for who he is, what he has done. Uh, Let us openly together bring our praises to the Lord, extolling him and giving our joyful thanks, our grateful praise. So let's do so with one voice together as the Lord's people and as someone prays audibly, you can uh, pray with them silently, but let us joyfully bring our adoration and blessing to our God and our King. Let's pray together.